welcome to Getting It. The conversation where we try to understand life just that little bit more. My name's Dan. And my name is Saban. We're both medical students based in London. And in this episode, we discuss the role that spectator sports play in modern day society, as well as questioning whether watching sport can be a valuable use of time. Good morning, Saban. Good morning, Dan. This is the first time we've recorded in the morning. That's why I hesitated. I was like, oh, it is the morning. It's a bit weird to say. And also today, it's weird that we're not doing it in person because recently we've been doing a lot of our episodes together. Yeah. But today I'm down here in Bournemouth. I came down because it was my birthday this weekend and you're still in Hammersmith, right? I am indeed. So yeah, just chilling. Oh, well, not not really chilling. The, the past week has been, or you know, ramping up in terms of intensity at placements and stuff. So slowly getting back into it but yeah how's your past week been and your birthday good so yeah i'm also on placement at the moment i'm halfway through this block so at the moment what i'm mainly trying to do is just get better at clinical skills and i'm thinking of all the stuff that we're going to be doing when we graduate as foundation doctors Mm. you know getting good at presenting patients to seniors um trying to think about management plans looking at the notes seeing how notes are taken on the wards and yeah, practicing taking bloods, putting in cannulas and stuff. Yeah. So one thing I'm actually really stressed about is with, is with note taking and stuff, because I haven't used a pen and paper for like over a year and a half. No, actually, oh. probably like for the past four years, I've barely written anything apart from when I've had to sign something. But even over the past year, when I've had to sign stuff, you just sign online. Right. So mm-hmm. I had to like fill in the drug chart for something today. So actually the first day I didn't even have a pen just because I haven't carried a pen with me in so long. Yeah. And then the, the F1 was like, come on, you need a pen, man. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. Next day I came with a pen. I, I was filling out some stuff in the drug shop. Man, my, there was, I had like coordination issues. I, like, I forgot to like how to write letters and stuff just because I haven't oh. used it in that long. I was literally wasting away those, like, you know, neural connections, all that coordination. It was re- Do you think, do you think that, because I find, I have to be honest, not to, um not to flex on you, <laughs> but I, when I haven't written for a while, sometimes I'll go months without writing. I, I never struggle to do it again. So I, f- yeah. I feel like it's almost muscle memory. I don't know if... The thing is, is that I've always had struggle with writing. I've always been slow at writing and I've always had pretty bad yeah, handwriting. So I suppose it's just kind of compounded w- just with the yeah, fact that I that haven't written sense. in so long as well. So I mean, yeah, as as we graduate, I guess we're so going to have to do that a bit more. That's the thing I'm most stressed about is like having to actually write stuff down, like notes and like, oh man, this do is... You think, <laughs> um, do you think... Well, I suppose it, it is the case that the like next generation of young people... Do they write as much at school as we did? And is there even a need to write now? I don't know. At least over the past year and a half, because of lockdowns and stuff, online teaching, they they have probably written a lot less than they usually would. But otherwise, I think it's still pretty normal. It's still pretty traditional in terms of, you know, you've got your little book per lesson that you have to fill out your notes with and everything like that. Do you think we need, like, obviously the instinct is going to be yes, because that's how we did it. And I find that as I get older and I, we there's starting to be a younger generation than us kind of mm. you you can easily look at them and say like oh the way we did things was better more proper like what is the world coming to but is there a need for young people to write very well anymore no as long as you can type well and type fast yeah right? so obviously you need all the basics of like english grammar and everything like that right to be able to write properly whether that's on a computer or on paper but just being able to type fast is more important than being able to write you know well in terms of like physically writing just because everything is going towards that going to the point where you know you should you should be very proficient with a computer not just in like microsoft word or something but just using a computer overall just because everything's going towards that 
you know, just going in that direction. Maybe not the NHS or the NHS is very slow just because of migrating all the systems, but otherwise in every other profession, everything is just becoming more technological in terms of on computers and meetings and stuff is on all on that, especially over the past year when everyone's like, oh, you know, we can actually just do all this stuff online whilst at home or, mm. you know, doing stuff with our own routine and stuff. So I think it is much more important for the younger generation to actually be able to use a computer and type proficiently. I still see people like say even our age or younger and stuff, like they can't type very fast on a computer or on their laptop, even though they are spending all their day or, you know, over the past couple of years, they've spent so long on it, but you really should be able to, to a certain extent, mm. I'd say at least, at least like 80 words per minute or something. It takes a couple, a bit of practice to actually properly get mm. into it. But I still see people typing with like two fingers and stuff like, yeah, they can type decently fast with two fingers, but your accuracy is low. You have to always look down at the keyboard like frequently and stuff. It's just way slow in terms of navigating the computer. That's the other thing, navigating around. I try to use the mouse as little as, uh, as, little as I can, using just shortcuts and everything on the keyboard. It's, if your hands can just stay in one position, it's quicker. But I mean, I'll just go on a different tangent at this point. But yeah, I think it's more important that they use computers more and just get used to it just because they are going to have to once they're in the workforce. I feel, for me personally, I'm pretty good with that stuff. You know, like keyboard shortcuts, like all the swipes on MacBook. And yeah. I, I also try to minimise. No, but it's not even like that. Might... It's just even like when typing and within specific programs to open up certain panels. Okay, so say I'm talking about editing programs, right? There's obviously a lot of shortcuts and commands to be able to do stuff. If you have to do three clicks to do something, but you can just do like one keyboard shortcut, that's way quicker. But you can do that stuff in like mm -hmm. Word and, you know, all the other basic programs, PowerPoint, that kind of stuff. So just in every single pro program, even just Chrome, right? Like a lot of people yes. don't even know about like Control Shift T and then they have to go into their history, try find a tab. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. I think for me, even though I'm, I'm pretty decent at that, at that side of things, I'm still not very good at like my knowledge of how a computer works. And I think that's also probably something that that's pretty the younger generation should get good at. Yeah. Because I like my knowledge stops at like the motherboard, the mm. graphics card. I know like the components of a computer, but I don't actually know the anatomy of it properly. Like I wouldn't be able to make a computer. And mm. I think with, with all this, with all the separate parts. And I think that would be like a good skill as well. The thing is, it's actually surprisingly simple to actually build a computer. It's just like a slightly complicated Lego set just with electricity mm. running through it. <laughs> um, when, yeah, when you're building it, if you just follow the instructions, like literally certain things can literally only plug in one in one place, right? The motherboard connector, it's like 12 or 16 pin connector. I can't remember exactly. There's only one place for it to go. So it can only go in mm. there. And if you follow the instructions or just watch a couple of videos on YouTube, you're like, oh, it's actually pretty simple. So mm. yeah, I think most people should be able to do that as well. At least understanding, you know, what goes wrong and what can go wrong in the different parts of a computer because then you can just fix it yourself. Potentially. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's That's what I'm much thinking. much harder in a laptop, right? But if you have a computer or, you know, you can even fix stuff in your laptop. Maybe, you know, upgrading your RAM. Can't really do that in Macs because I think it's soldered onto the board. But, you know, in my laptop, I, I can change it around and stuff. So, you know, potentially do upgrades in the future. And then the final thing, I think it's something we may have talked about in a previous episode, but coding, being able to code in at least one language. I think that yeah. is really good. And it's something I can't do as well. Yeah, I, I can't really do that too much either because I've... I know some like basic Java script and stuff from more animation side of stuff. HTML, CSS, anyone can pretty much learn in like a day or two. But again, that's that's not actually programming. That's just, you know, design or like front end kind of development. But yeah, I think that's something that's just going to be more required in the workforce, just everywhere. Because loads of people just making, you know, proprietary software and just doing everything through software these days. So you need to be able to at least understand what's going on in, in the back end 
to be able to provide some kind of higher level value to a particular company if you're in that field. Value. That's a key word. Value. Yeah. Love that word. <laughs> provide value. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's like a unit. <laughs> how, uh, how many values do you provide? So on I my provide, CV, uh, I provide 67 my, my, values. My previous peak, yeah, my previous <laughs> peak was uh, 47, but at the moment I'm averaging about 32 and a half. Oh no, you've got to bring those values up, man. <laughs> but yeah, okay, so what I was going to talk to you about today was based on the football, which is tonight for us, because it's a Sunday that we're recording this. Mm -hmm. And the result will be out by the time this episode is uploaded. But for those of you who don't know, it's going to be uh, tonight. The match will be England versus Italy in the final of the European Championships in the football. Yeah, what's interesting is that when you're listening to this, you'd know because it's going to be uploaded tomorrow, obviously. So on the Monday. So you're going to put in your prediction right now? Oh, put in my prediction. Okay, I'm just I'm just going to be patriotic and say that we are going to win uh, two 0 Two 0 classic. Because I think, yeah, yeah, I think I think two 0 Come on, I'm I'm putting it out there now. Okay, fine. Um, I, I'll, yeah, I'll, and I'm going to go with the safest options. Well. I'm going to say it's going to be Sterling and Kane who score the goals. Oh, as mad. Well. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, if I get all that correct, I, I want some sort of uh, reward. Okay. Um, but yeah, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you more value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I need some value, bro. Um, yeah, so with the football, obviously events like this are really nice overall. The English football fans have a bit of a bad reputation and under understandably so. But overall, the fact that there's a sporting event where basically the whole country is watching and supporting the same team and is really nice and it's associated with national pride as well. It would be really good if we can win it. And I think the this generation of team stands for... I, I like what they stand for. I think they're a good group of people. And yeah, it would be, be really good to see them win. But it made me think about a... Not a quote, but a topic that Noam Chomsky was talking about in the book, the last book I read, which is called Understanding Power. And he touches upon sport in it and his opinions on it. And... It's an opinion, as far as I know, which is echoed by quite a lot of like, I'm saying this in like inverted commas, but like like intellectuals who've talked about this topic. And it's the idea that spectator sports are, they serve as like a distraction from what's important in life and a way to sort of uh, keep working class people occupied so, so and invested in something. A distraction for the commoners. Essentially. <laughs> yeah, essentially. So it works well for people in power because, yeah, it, you've got a bunch of people now who every day they're just obsessed with something which ultimately doesn't matter. And they spend their money on it. So it's a, it's a yeah, really good business decision. You've got millions of people following these sports teams, buying their overpriced merchandise, buying tickets, watching it on TV, following it all. It's just a distraction basically, isn't it, in a way? Mm. And... That's what he feels. When I read, when I first read that, I felt a little bit attacked. Can't lie, because I was like, "Oh, I, <laughs> you just described I love your sport. life." <laughs> yeah, I love sport. Outside of um, outside of like work, sport and music are probably the two things that bring me most happiness. Um, in terms of just pure enjoyment, if I were to spend a Sunday afternoon doing absolutely no work, like just the ultimate Sunday afternoon for me would just be sport the whole time. Mm. I'd go and play football, I'd go and play tennis, I'd go and play golf, mm. I'd go swimming. But it's, there's a difference between playing and 
like spec just watching and following right that's true that's true oh you could transfer that out and say my ultimate afternoon would be watching like today the Wimbledon final uh watch the Copper America final last night the Euros final later that is perfect as well just involving in sport is just brilliant for me I love it even watching it or playing it but I know in this context we're talking about watching it do you prefer one over the other would you rather if you could only do one watch or play normally I would rather play the sport however every now and again there's a huge occasion right like a giant sporting event like tonight yeah England playing in a major final. If someone said to me, do you want to go and play some football? Do you want to go and watch that? I would watch, I'd say I want to watch this. Yeah, um, So yeah, but I mean, for me, the reason why I felt attacked is because I I really follow Liverpool. They're, uh, yeah, you, you know Liverpool, yeah. yeah. They're, they're one of the best teams in the world, mm -hmm. I'm proud to say. Um, they're a club and they're from Liverpool and I'm not from Liverpool. And I watched... For the last few years, I've watched basically every match. Um, I'd say about 90% of the matches. I So much so that I actually just factor that into my calendar. So if someone says, like, are you free on Tuesday evening? I know Liverpool playing. I'll say, oh, no, I'm not free, unfortunately. How, how many hours does this calculate up to, say, like in a season? Well, let's say there are 38 league matches in a season, because mm. well, there are. And then let's say there are 10 other matches that they play in a season you, you can say about 50 matches a year and then I said 90% so 45 yeah. and then each match is probably about two hours in total so it's 90 hours in a year I mean I don't know yeah. that's just watching the matches yeah fair um, enough it's it's a time investment for sure and that's just watching Liverpool now I watch a lot of tennis as well for example oh yeah wow I watch I, I do watch and follow rugby uh, international rugby. I watch and follow golf. Um, so sometimes I will follow the Formula One as well. Like there basketball? is a lot of time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to forget basketball. If, you if, mean, if I'm interested I follow in Clay. <laughs> yeah, I follow Clay. <laughs> I follow Clay Thompson. A lot of time goes into watching these spectator sports. So mm, first thing I wanted to ask you is what do you think about it? And I have no problem if you, if you think it's a waste of time as well. I completely would understand that. Mm. I see where that point is coming from. I, I can see where it is, you know, a distraction or just a waste of time because nothing fundamentally comes out of it in terms of what value to society. Maybe, well, I suppose the money side of it, but then that's not really going to society really. But I suppose you could talk about it in happiness levels or enjoyment levels for society where, you know, if our whole like city supporting their city is like, you know, up together, united and supportive of each other, right, in a good mood. Well, you can see that's a benefit, right? However, I suppose the actual, just the simple act of just sitting there watching football or just whatever sport can quite easily just be seen as a waste of time. Um, I think that's partially why I've never really watched any sport. I've never followed any sport that intensely. I had a phase where I followed the NBA for a bit. But the thing is, like I said, I was only really following Clay Thompson. Um, maybe LeBron as well sometimes, but just it was it, it was even hard to do that, obviously, because of the time zone difference. And then, you know, Golden State Warriors being in the West Coast, just the, the time difference was insane. So a lot of the time it was just highlights and stuff. So I've never really watched sports. And then even after that, I don't like to just sit and watch something where I don't feel I'm directly not really getting much. That's why I've never really watched too much TV in my life. I've just kind of kind of found it too quite mundane. 
But again, that's just a very personal thing where I'd rather just be doing something active or just actually learning something. Whereas if I'm just watching Suits or something where that was a TV show I probably followed the most at one point. Yeah, I, I didn't even watch the last couple of seasons just because by the time uni started, I just stopped watching it altogether because I just found myself just involved in other things that were just keeping me occupied throughout the day and from which I gained a lot more value from. So yeah, I never really got too much value from watching sports. So personally, I would sometimes just think like, oh man, they're literally watching like football every day, every other day or whatever sport it is, not just football, it's just football is just coming to mind. And I'll just be like, man, I just couldn't do that. Just sit down for an hour and a half and it, if you are properly watching a game, it's hard to actually do anything else. Obviously, if you have it in the background, right, and you just sit like, you know, you see, oh, you know, something interesting is happening, you just watch it for a couple of minutes and then go back to whatever you're doing. That I can kind of see is fine. And maybe I would do that sometimes. Or as in, I don't, but that's probably the way I would watch football or a sport if I were to do that. So, yeah, that I suppose that's kind of my opinion where I can very easily see the side where, you know, it's it can be seen as a waste of time or, you know, you could be doing better things or it can be seen as a distraction. Whether it was kind of created to be specifically like some kind of conspiracy, right, as a distraction for the common people to stay away from politics and whatever other, other corruption is happening up high in the social ladder or whatever, I, I can't really comment on that. But I can see the point of potentially it being a waste of time depending on what you actually gain from it. I suppose it occupies a similar portion of society's interest as watching tv shows in a way mm. in that it's meant to just be your leisure time where you're watching something which doesn't like it doesn't matter whether you actually watch it it doesn't change your life in any way really but you just enjoy watching it i think that's why people watch tv shows as well mm. right but shouldn't leisure try true leisure time right actually be life-changing if that makes sense that'd be the ultimate i think you need it yeah that'd be ultimate like leisure time right if you're intensely learning something or really engaged in something right that's essentially yes. leisure time outside of your you know nine to five work time or whatever so you're you're that's off. like the ultimate productive like yeah exactly but dream, yeah right? it shouldn't be it shouldn't feel like work it should just feel like play essentially yes but you're really well, enjoying it but then i have i can never see or i've never felt like if i'm sat down watching something just purely watch even like a movie uh, it feels like play or like it's not as in enjoyable for me as actually doing something unless you're watching for me i do feel like it's productive when i'm watching either videos on geopolitics or videos in a different language yeah, and I'm focusing yeah but on that's it. like learning right you're doing something that has a i suppose a genuine passion that you're actually learning something from and then you know you can actually apply that information to a certain extent in different areas whereas watching a tv show there's very little like that's why i'd rather watch documentaries right because you know there's an active learning to it it's not just about learning but I feel like I can take something away from it. If it's just like a, you know, social, like, you know, drama or something, sitcom, for me, like, there is absolutely no value in it, if, if that makes sense, for me, so. Yeah, it's fair enough. And I think what I would say about sport at the same time is my argument for sport, obviously it has to be in moderation. And it is bizarre that, for example, when Liverpool lose in certain contexts, it actually guts, it makes me feel gutted, like, I feel really down for a few days sometimes. Or if my favorite tennis player, Nadal, if he loses a big final or something, it it properly disappoints me. I feel truly gutted. Um, that is bizarre because ultimately it shouldn't affect me. Mm. But these these people are like um, they. It, it's weird to say, but for example, Nadal. I started following him in about two thousand and five, when I was about six years old, and he. He's been ever present in my life. It's weird to say that, right? But 
Honestly, every month or two, I'd be watching him in a big match and really supporting him in those matches. Sometimes they're three, four, even up to five hours. You're living through every moment with him and you get to know them. Like I've got to know, honestly, I've got to know just from watching him play these matches, how he thinks and how he is as a person. And I'm so happy for him when he wins. He, mm. I really feel like he deserves it. And it's like watching your favorite protagonist in a film or something, but watching them do it in real life, it's its its really nice to watch. And you end up learning a lot about it as well, uh, a lot from it, sorry. So for example, the victories are really nice and uh, they make you feel really good and really happy for him. But also I've learned a lot about how to take defeat and how you blame yourself, for example. And so when when he loses, sometimes I will feel like he's been hard done by or he shouldn't have lost and that was unfair. But the more that time's passed, I've realized that everything balances out eventually. Hmm. So you can look at things through like a certain lens, right? So I'll look at him lose a tournament and think, man, he, he was the best player in this tournament. It was so unfair that he was drawn against so many hard players. This other dude didn't, didn't deserve it. He wasn't as good as Nadal overall. But then basically, yeah, it, over time, I've really learned to understand that loss is like a part of the journey as well. And when I go through difficult moments in my life, sometimes now I will apply that same mindset genuinely to those situations. It's something that I've learned from sport over time, or with Liverpool as well. The idea that, for example, Liverpool uh, last year went on a crazy unbeaten run, mm. nearly unprecedented. And there were so many times in that run where they should have lost really the match they were the worst team whatever in the last minute they just pulled it back it was constantly it happened multiple multiple times the match they did end up losing maybe that wasn't their worst performance out of all the matches but it was just a sign of, it was just like a, a theme like they finally just mentally couldn't do it anymore it was just one match too many and it it taught me about like you could tell they were going to lose that match about four matches ago. Mm. They were ready to lose a match about four or five matches before that match that they actually lost. But it, they were still mentally so strong that for a team to overcome them over 90 minutes was still, it's, it still took a lot of effort, if that kind of makes sense. And it, it made me realize like I watch, I can see that pattern in other sports now as well happening where a team is so mentally strong that they can evade defeat for a while, but some things are just inevitable. And yeah, you can apply that as well to your own life. Um, I don't know if that kind of makes sense as well. I know this is a bit of a rant, but what I'm trying to say is if you, if you want to, you can learn a lot from sport emotionally as well, not just about how to win, and taking victory, but also mm. how to process defeat and how to approach high pressure situations as well. It, that's not even on the playing side. This is just purely on the spectating side. So yeah, and obviously there is the element of just enjoyment. Like you can just sit there and just watch someone else do something and get engrossed in it, but there's no pressure on you. And it's just fascinating to watch. And if you like the sport, if I like when I like playing these sports, it's like what you talked about um, when you watched loads of editing videos for years, even though you weren't doing it yourself, and then you got you were actually kind of better when you got back. It's the same with sport as well. Yeah. If you watch a bunch of tennis matches and you're properly watching it and going through the decisions, listening to the analyses, you can learn a heck of a lot. Yeah. So yeah. So I think that's quite different though, because you're watching to learn almost. So when I was like really into basketball, I was watching loads of I was watching like loads of coaches and breaking down different jump shots and how different people would shoot and i would watch hours and hours of just clay highlight videos of him shooting and stuff so yeah and then i'd go back and just 
go back to the court and try and put those things into practice. And, you know, slowly my shooting got better and better and better. So, but the thing is, I wasn't watching just merely for the sake of watching it. I think that's the difference where if you're just watching it for the sake of watching it, just to like literally just see the game and see how it turns out compared to say the way I was watching certain things where, like I said, I was, it was mostly highlights and stuff like that. I was watching it so then I could implement that into my game and get better. And then also I was, you know, you know, actually just following like Clay as well. And then, so the thing you spoke about where, you know, Liverpool was on that really long streak of just winning and winning. It was, I suppose it's kind of similar to the 15, 16 season with the Warriors where they went 73, mm. nine or whatever. The thing is, I didn't really have that kind of emotional attachment, even though I, I watched a lot of the games that season and I was kind of following them. And it was like, it, it started getting stressful when they were getting close to the record or whatever like from the Bulls and whatever season and I was like and at that point they were starting to like break slightly like you were saying where it was just wearing them out or you know it was just going to happen like eventually right but I never really got that emotional attachment to it I was just like oh yeah I was just watching it if that makes sense and whatever happens happens so yeah I don't know is do you think it's a good thing to be so emotionally invested into something that that external right it's fine being emotionally invested into external things as in it's just a part of life but where something that you have absolutely zero control over those people don't even know you in the slightest and stuff mm. to potentially have such a big impact say if, if liverpool lose and now you're feeling down for like the next couple of days that can impact your life negatively is it is that a it's good bizarre thing? no i don't think it's a good thing it's bizarre i mean the only thing I can say to counter it or not to counter it but to add is I think a part of it comes down to like a philosophy on life and the people who I support in sport is not random mm. there's often a like I'll, I'll give you a good example everyone knows about like the Messi Ronaldo rivalry yeah and everyone knows about the Nadal Federer rivalry as well yeah and that there are parallels between them and with Nadal and Ronaldo being sort of the embodiments of hard work and determination and Messi and Federer being sort of the effortless talent. And that's a, like a, a broad simplification, but that's how they're seen. I was talking to my friend the other day that it would be weird for someone to truly love like Federer and Ronaldo or for someone to truly love Messi and Nadal, to truly love both of them mm. and dislike you know, the other two, if that makes yeah. sense. Because the philosophies, it, it's like a, a weird matchup in, of philosophies. How they, they should translate, really. So I say that because my friend, um, Shamak, he really, really, really likes um, Messi and he really, really, really likes Federer. And I really like Nadal and Ronaldo. And um, yeah, it's, it's, do you see what I mean? Mm. We both follow both. And I think you'll find that generally that would be the case. It's a question of like philosophy and perception because that's what I really value in sport. I value that. I think talent is incredible and so cool. And like, um, I wouldn't dispute that Messi and Federer, their relationship with their respective balls, <laughs> tennis ball and the, the, the football <laughs> and the tennis ball is, is, um, is like an, it's like an artist, you know, and they yeah. can express themselves through it. It's beautiful. But then I also really value the, the idea that anyone you can if you work hard enough achieve anything if you just drive yourself to it and want to win and in Ronaldo's case for example I think that drive that he brings he he may not be the best football player he is right up there but also what he does to his team um is really unique as well you know whoever he's playing with I think he instills a mentality and after all it is a team sport and that's why I like those two guys but when one of them loses I kind of 
I kind of see them as like an extension of myself. If I could, if I was born into their lives, I think I would, and I had, you know, their physical ability and the time and money and everything invested into me. If I were like to be a top level tennis player or footballer, I would want to be like them. So seeing them lose, it, it's weird, um, but it's almost like an extension of yourself in a way. That's, uh, yeah, it's hard to articulate. I don't want that to sound like I'm saying I could be any of those things. Definitely not, but yeah. yeah. Do, do, you, do you kind of see what I mean? No, I definitely do because that's kind of the basis upon which I support Clay for. Yeah, because same for me with Clay. It was just his personality, right? Yeah, okay, the Warriors were doing really well and whatever. But the thing is, like I mentioned in a couple of episodes ago, if the Warriors won, but Clay just performed badly, I would just feel like not that great, if that makes sense. Same for me. But I think the reason I supported him, just because his personality kind not matched mine, but as in it was just the way that he was different to all the other players because he didn't, he wasn't staged. He didn't have a big PR team. He wasn't there to get loads of deals and stuff. He wasn't a big kind of like charismatic personality on the camera. He'd just be there. He's kind of derpy if he watches interviews and just kind of understand yeah. his persona. He just didn't really care. He just wanted to play basketball. That's all he wanted to do. He'd obviously be very engrossed in the game. If he lost, he'd be really sad. If he won, he'd be really happy. But otherwise, he just didn't really care about anything else in life apart from basketball and his dog. So, um, yeah, so, and then I just really kind of rated that and he was just kind of funny as well. He just, yeah, pretty nonchalant about everything. So it just kind of, that's kind of the way I like to go about things. A lot of things in my life where, okay, things might go my way, might not go my way. Either way, I'm just trying to have a good time and, you know, I don't really stress too much about other things. And that's, obviously there are things I do stress about. For for Clay, it's basketball. He takes that very seriously, right? Everything else, you know, is it, sorted. It's just doing its own thing. And that's the kind of thing where I, I try to go about. So I think that's where I got my emotional connection to Clay. So yeah, I suppose I do have some kind of emotional investment into at least certain aspects of sports where, you know, And if you can see someone who's, if you can see someone who's similar to you doing really well, it's nice to think that like, you know, they... I could potentially be like that if I were like in their, their way situation. Of like, their way of doing it is bringing them success and you you do it in a similar way to them. Yeah. You know, you kind of want to see them do well and if you believe in their principles and stuff. With Clay, I do agree. I think his person, if you were like a top basketball player, I could imagine you having his sort of relationship with basketball and his sort of personality and with his interactions and stuff. I think the reason why I love Clay is because of his capacity to get hot, I think is so unique. Yeah, that's the other and thing. I don't, I think his psychology is so interesting in that every few months there'll just be a game where something clicks in his head and his level just gets super high. I guess with something like shooting, if you just get your eye in and you're in the right circumstance, you're feeling loose, you're feeling comfortable, mm you can just get his level will become meteoric, you know, and it's suddenly he's the best player in the league for about half an hour. And it's just, it's so interesting to watch that happen. That's what um, I love Clay for because it was with you, I think when we watched that game in the uh, Western conference finals against OKC, where he dropped, I think like 41 points Man. and it was a record number of threes. I think it was like 10 threes in the match and it was an elimination game and he just got so hot. And he stepped up and yeah, I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, his but, 37 um, points in a quarter. It's like it's like his his frontal brain just turns off. It just disconnects. So there's no thought. There's no conscious thing. It's just like all his cerebellum and just coordinated movement. So he's truly in a flow, isn't he? He's not, he's not thinking. I think if you, I would love to see his senses in those moments. Like how much is he taking in of what's around him? Because I, I think he's in his, he goes into completely his own world for a bit. He's not you know, processing completely loses anything. the crowd. He's not processing anything. I don't think 
And I think as soon as he becomes self-aware in those moments, the the magic of it disappears. So, yeah, it's it, that's why I love him. I think he's he's so unique. And yeah, yeah, I guess the last one would be Liverpool. I just really like what that club stood for and still stands for in a way. They are a really big club. So they are wealthy and I guess they it kind of kills the dream in football that nowadays the big clubs have like a monopoly over the top positions and stuff because of money. They can control that a lot better. But out of the big clubs, I think Liverpool still stand for really good principles. And I really love some of the legends in the club. And each club has its own personality, right? Or its own identity. And Liverpool's identity is very much a representation of the city of Liverpool, which is such a unique city in the UK as well. They don't see them, you know, the the whole like, we're, we're Scouse, not English and stuff like that. Like they, their, their personality and identity is just very unique as well. And the, the passion for the football team is so special. I think it's the best out there. And yeah, so I, I really love the club. You know, I've lived through those moments with them, the, the highest moments and some of the low moments. And at this point, it feels like, I'm part of that family even though I'm not and yeah so that's why I really support them I want them to see them I want to see them do well and yeah I guess I'm going on a lot of rants here Mm -hmm. but I hope you can see that my main point is one you can learn a lot from sport when you want to Mm. and that's not just about like learning about the sport but it's also learning about life honestly I think I've learned a lot of a lot of like lessons on how to process situations Mm. emotionally through watching the highs and lows in sport and the other thing is yeah obviously watching a bunch of sport can make you better at it yeah and sport it's good to be good at sport in my opinion yeah not just in like your coordination and your physical health but also just yeah your ability to handle pressure work in a team oh my goodness being able to work in a football team to be able to be like a good football player and work with the players around you you're always having to deal with players who are better than you players who are worse than you and another thing so important self what's the word what's the opposite of delusion um Uh, self-awareness yeah just self-awareness basically if you are aware of how good you are it will determine your decision making Mm. during the match constantly i'm asking my teammates like two or three of my teammates Cut that little burp. Um, basically, during a match, I'm constantly asking a couple of my teammates, how am I playing? What do you think of my decisions in the first half? And they'll tell me, they'll tell me, oh no, you're making the wrong choices. You're being too selfish. You're being too unselfish. If you know how good you are, it will um, determine whether you go keep going for hard things or take a, too much responsibility upon yourself. And again, that really translates to work settings and working in a team mm. and stuff. Knowing how good you are at something determines how much responsibility you should take on looking out for other people. You can get better at a sport by doing those things and it really helps in the rest of life. So yeah, I know that now we're talking about playing as opposed to like just yeah. mindlessly following it, but they, they kind of go together in a way. I don't know. I'd say way more people watch a sport than actually play a sport. A lot of people probably haven't even played that sport in you know 10 15 years or since they were a child or something or maybe even never played it right so Mm. i think there are much more people like that who are literally just watching almost for the sake of watching and you know they're just emotionally invested into a particular team or whatever person now so i think most people are like that however if you are you know actively playing in a club or something 
you are going to be watching the game differently to those people. Yes, you also have a certain yeah. level of emotional attachment or whatever, but yeah, you will be intentional. Be you'll be watching a specific person, you know, someone who plays in the same position as you, and be like, okay, what are they doing? Like this, this, and this, and how are they dealing with this certain scenario? You know, whatever, right? So they're trying to get better at that sport at the same time. So they are watching with a different kind of intention rather than literally watching for the sake of watching without any intention, essentially. So I think there's that's quite a big difference, right? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I, I suppose going back to the original comment from that book, do you do you personally think that it was a bit of a conspiracy theory was going on about like where oh, I was kind of initially made to control the mass or well, not control the masses or distract the masses? Yeah, I think it's not wrong as in for the government to, for sport to be as big as it is now, that means it hasn't been stopped, if that makes sense. So clearly... Mm -hmm it's in the interests of the government to support sport yeah. in a way. Uh, yes. And I think that's fine, ultimately. There are a lot worse things that you could be encouraging. Yeah. And definitely a part of that will include time wasting in a way, like supporting something which ultimately doesn't benefit you. But if that does bring someone joy and happiness, even if it's not making them a more productive person in any way, Say they're just literally watching it mindlessly. They just love that team. The team does well. They feel happy. The team does badly. They feel sad. They don't play the sport or whatever. That's still, in my opinion, a good thing. It's bringing someone happiness and gives them kind of meaning. Mm. And yeah, not every person needs to go and be productive, you know, every minute of every day. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I still think, yeah, that there'll be a bunch of people who do it in excess, a bunch of people who, you know, think it matters more than it really does i'm one of those people <laughs> but it's brought me a lot in life and i'm it's so much so that part of my future a, a really obscenely big part of my future planning involves sport like the country i want to live in the place i live i need to be able to access certain sporting facilities yeah to be happy in a way yeah but, the, but that's playing rather than watching to a certain extent it involves watching as well i okay. need to be able to watch all the sports as well yeah um, yeah as in yeah i'm completely for playing sport you know activity whether it's like professionally or like you know you're really gunning it or literally just as a hobby a couple of times a week or even once a week once a month or whatever because yeah the act of actually playing any kind of sport is insane like you were mentioning all the different skills that are translatable to your work life or your social life in every single way and then obviously the health benefits, depending, you know, on the sport. Well, I mean, pretty much every sport will garner some kind of benefit. I don't know, like snooker, does does that count as a sport? I don't know how much yes. physical ability is used in that, but there's a lot of mental ability, which is just as important, a if huge not amount. more important. So, And the coordination of, of snooker players is unbelievable oh, yeah, as well. Being able to Strategy. Just, yeah, just calculate those. They're unbelievably good. They unbelievably are, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, so that, that that's the sport of the mind rather than the body, right? So there's you know that that to it as well and then the sport of the mind is so cool because like chess is basically actually oh, sorry in chess apparently i can't remember there was some weird study that they were assessing like blood pressure and heart rate for people playing like chess tournaments like the top level and stuff and their heart rate and blood pressure was as if they were running a marathon for like four hours straight or something for that entire period and the thing is i i think that's true because whenever i've, I've sat down like sat exams i like i'm like maxed out in terms of my adrenaline in terms of how much i can secrete basically because one of my exams in first year was during ramadan and i still remember this because it was 
kind not traumatic, but I suppose the amount of sympathetic or sympathetic activity after you do an activity as well, or sustained sympathetic activity after a particular activity, whether it's physical or mental, enhances learning. So you just remember it. That's part of the you know just learning or, or memorizing or me memory and stuff. Anyway, um, the exam was in Ramadan. I, it was LSS one, and then we had LSS two two days after. It's just you know life support systems or something like that, and because I was fasting and the exam was, I think around 10 a.m. or yeah, around 10 a.m. or either around midday started like one o'clock, either started at 10 and finished at one-ish or the other way around. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that way around. And obviously I hadn't drank any water for at least, you know, nine-ish hours at that point or eight, nine hours, no food or anything. And usually during Ramadan, I'd go to the toilet once in the morning when I wake up and then I pretty much just wouldn't go to the toilet for the rest of the day. However, after the exam, I, I remember in the last quarter of the exam, I was bursting for the toilet, absolutely bursting, even though I haven't, like, you know, consumed any water. And then after the exam, I had to just run to the toilet and I just let out like a full bladder. And I was there like, no, oh. I need this water for the rest of the day to revise for the next exam in two days. And it just gone because obviously the sympathetic activity would have just, you know, increased blood pressure, increased filtration or something. I don't know, you know, so you just need the toilet afterwards. So yeah, at that point I was like, okay, wow, my heart, well, I know my heart rate was going to be higher, but I'm assuming like blood pressure just, it, it kind of felt like I was doing some kind of physical activity, even though I was sat in a chair, you know, doing a multiple choice and then written exam kind of thing. So I suppose it's the same thing with chess where, okay, yeah, even though you are, it's all in the mind, right? But the actual physical response for your whole body can sometimes be that of, you know, intense physical activity. It's really fun to watch videos of the top chess players having heart, heart rate monitors on and looking at the differences between them as well. Because as you get, you know, like you have timed matches mm, oh, and as there's like yeah. 45 seconds left, and one person's like on the back foot. It's very fun to watch. There's like pretty much the GOAT, Magnus Carlsen. Mm. There are quite a few good videos of him playing Hikaru Nakamura, who's like extremely good player as well. One of the best players in the world. And um, yeah, Nakamura's heart rate in one of them, it was yeah, constantly around 135, 140. Oh, what? And Carlsen's was around, and, and Carlsen's was um, in the 80s, low 80s. In, in the same like part wow. of the match. So it's really interesting to, but you look at both of their faces and they've got, you know, straight faces, they're just sat there. But it's so wow. interesting to think that Nakamura is really nervous. Yeah, like in, he is full moment. sympathy. Like that's close to max heart rate. Well, f for a lot of people getting close to max heart rate is probably like 80%. That, that's high. Wow, that's yeah. insane. It's really yeah. interesting. But yeah, so yeah, the final thing I wanted to say about it, what I think is so cool about sport is it's basically when you've got the best athletes in the world, it's kind of like, you okay, so you take uh, Djokovic and like another tennis opponent, let's just say Nadal. Mm. Djokovic has spent his whole life basically dedicated to tennis, right? He has a life outside of it as well, no doubt, because you can't occupy every hour of the day doing yeah. it. But basically his entire life, he's been full-time into tennis. Same for Nadal. When they go and play a match- Wait, from, from like how young? Oh, from three or four years old. Damn, okay, yeah. fine. In some players start at six or seven, but generally, yeah, you, you're very, very young. Mm. Uh, as soon as you can basically run around and stuff. And if if you're playing each other, you've you're. It's like if I'm playing you in it, and we're at that level. You've spent your whole life doing that one thing with that one goal, which is to win tennis matches against anyone. Yeah, and I've got that exact same goal. If you keep beating me, it just kind of means, in a way, you're just a better person than me. Like you're just better than me. 
as a person. Do you kind of see what yeah, I mean? That, that is actually quite deep. Because yeah. we're both, we've both got the exact same goal, the exact same thing. We just want to be winning the same matches. And I'm literally coming up against you in a setting where the, all the other variables are taken out. You know, there's literally a court where we're using the same balls, the same equipment and everything. Everything is and equal, just apart from your ability. Everything's equal. Yeah, and, and it's like an agreement. Like, okay, we're going to play at three o'clock tomorrow. You've got time to prepare. Like, you, you can do all the prep and homework you want. If if you keep beating me every time, it's it's so interesting. You are just kind of, in that regard, a better person than me. You're better than me. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. to That's why it's so interesting watching individuals, like in individual sport. Um, mm. Yeah, I know that's not a nice way to look at it. And But the thing is, that's a part of their own psychology. That must be going through their head to a certain extent, right? Because... Yeah. Yeah. If you especially if you've been brought up like from such a young age, that is literally your main goal in life. That is that is what defines success or not in your life. Yeah. And then to have someone say repeatedly beat you, or maybe it's just Every one time. one person that you just can't beat. You just know that one person is better than you in that one instance, right? Like it's peak for um this is peak, but the Nadal grew up in the same year group, like the same uh, at the same time as this guy called Gasquet who's this French guy. So they're basically the exact same age. And when they were 11 or 12, you can find videos online of them playing each other, for example. They've they've just grown up with the exact same goal. Mm. And in their pre professional career, their record is like 16-0 to Nadal or something. It just means Nadal is just better, you know? Mm. Like, it's it's a bit peak. But obviously he's, his approach is just better than Gasquet's approach. And that's, in, to an extent, oh, it, a reflection on them as a person, just confined to tennis, you know? Maybe Gasquet's a nicer guy or whatever. That that's fine. Maybe cares more about his family or whatever. But yeah, it's interesting. That's basically the last thing I want to say about it. And that's what's so cool about sport, because yeah, you can have who's the better musician, or you can have who's the better writer and stuff. But in sport, is literally it. It can be objective. Mm. Who's the better tennis player? Well, have they played before? Yes, they've played forty times. Okay, who's won the most? Oh, this guy won thirty-five times. Okay, he's just objectively better, or she at that sport anyway but then all the excuses will start coming out like oh man the wind was in the wrong direction and what, like, 35 times <laughs> yeah well no and then the other times like, oh there was a the, the ground was uneven on my side or something oh yeah but i thought you changed sides every few games oh, oh yeah uh, <laughs> it got it got uh fixed <laughs> yeah but um yeah anyway yeah. so I, I think that, yeah that's pretty interesting i've never really thought about watching sport like that or at least i haven't reflected on it in that kind of way but yeah, I suppose it has its benefits and its drawbacks and it depends how far you take a particular thing. So now that was an interesting discussion. But so my final question is, do it be coming home? <laughs> do it be coming home? Um, I think regardless of the results tonight, it has been coming home for so long that it, it feels it like... It already has come home. <laughs> it already has come home. <laughs> the the meaning behind that, by the way, is like, because um, I think it's misconstrued sometimes. Mm. Football's coming home. It's because football was created in England. Just to clarify. Yeah. So that's like, yeah, people saying like it's coming back home. Not not that football like deserves to be, um, it's not like England are the best team. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think that's how it's perceived sometimes. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Because I also support Portugal as well. So if Portugal <laughs> do it be coming comes to that home, home when they win as well. <laughs> it, yeah, it come, it'd be coming to one of the homes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. I will catch you next week. All right, we'll leave it there. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting It. If you enjoyed this episode, or didn't, then feel free to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app, or on the Apple Podcasts website. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or questions about anything we discussed. So feel free to email us at thoughts at gettingit.co.uk. You can also reach us on Twitter or Instagram at gettingit underscore pod. You can find all the links in the show notes.